again, everybody, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast. We're so glad you've joined us for another great adventure, another great interview we have today. I'm here with Stephanie. She is in her car, however, today. <laughs> Obviously, not driving right now, but going right. somewhere. So, so this is podcast on the fly today. Where are you <laughs> headed that you're all in your car? You know, I actually just came from taking my daughter out to lunch. She has started a new Christian school this year. She's a freshman. And the great thing about it is she has gotten no demerits. And because she has gotten no demerits, she got to take lunch out today. And she chose to have lunch with her mom. Like, how great is that? Wow. Awesome. I know. (laughs) That is is a privilege and a half, I must say. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was telling Stephanie earlier and Leah Hitty Gregory is joining us as our guest today. But I was saying to to Stephanie that um, you know my commute is down the stairs to the basement these days for the most part, and um, so I don't even have a good background. It's just my my white wall here. And, uh, That's right. Leah has her books there, nicely arranged. That's the very district superintendent like thing. Right. <laughs> You know, very, very, very educated. So, so, uh, we, well, we, we know Leah's with us, but Stephanie, why don't you mm-hmm. introduce her so we can, we can get rolling here on well, church revitalization. Sure. Well, it is my pleasure to get to introduce Leah Hitty Gregory. She is a doctor. She's also a district superintendent of the Central Texas Conference, dean of the cabinet there. And the really cool thing is she's worked on Next Steps Working Group, and she's also the chair of the Church Revitalization Task Force. So, Leah, we're just really privileged to have you with us today. How are you doing? I am doing great. And I. it is actually my honor and my privilege to get to be here today and share the work of our revitalization task force. We have some amazing folks on that uh, task force that have just given so much of their time for it, for uh, this endeavor. So Leah, as a district superintendent, and I, I was thinking about you all morning because I was filling out all of my charge conference forms today and thinking <laughs> we're recording this the day after, well, the, the first day of the election, I think is the way we put it. And, um, and I thought, this is a great way to distract yourself from, from bureaucracy by doing more bureaucracy. Yeah, by <laughs> doing more bureaucracy, that's right. So I have spent my morning doing clergy conversation um, with, with different clergy from around my district. So it's even more bureaucracy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought about the fact that I have to do this, but you have to read them all. So that's right. <laughs> The fascinating thing. So, but I do want to hear from you a little bit before we get into church revitalization, which is what we're really here to talk about. But just just to hear from you as a district superintendent, who's who's an experienced veteran district superintendent, how your churches are managing these days. What kind of things are you learning that might help others? If you got a few quick pieces of advice for churches as we're still navigating this COVID reality at this point here toward the end of November when this is going to air. So I am super proud of the Central District in the Central Texas Conference and the way they have um, worked together to support one another and the way they have uh, really taken seriously the safety concerns and and things like that that COVID has presented. Uh, I think early on, the very best piece of information that we got was from a consulting group that Andy Crouch is a part of where he talked about, um, we are not in a blizzard situation. So I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
And so we would get about six inches of snow and we would go to the store and buy firewood and we would do all this stuff and we would wait for um, our six inches of snow to melt. And it was like waiting out the blizzard, quote unquote, right? <laughs> Except COVID is not waiting out the blizzard. COVID is an ice age. And so what's happening is we're going to have to change everything that we have ever known about church as a result of this COVID experience. And so uh, we are watching churches come back at about 20 to 30%. We have starts and then we have stops because of surges. And we're having to learn to be flexible in ways we've not had to be flexible. Um, and it's sort of breaking us out of our routine. I, 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 we, we have lost dear folks uh, in our district to COVID. And, um, but then there's also been some blessings uh, that have come out of that that's that's really, you know, we keep talking about essential workers. Well, at the church level, we're getting to the point where we're only doing what's essential. And we're becoming those Acts 2, 42 churches, where, where what are the key things that we're supposed to do? And so um, anyway, uh, we are struggling like everybody is struggling. You know, it's hard. We've been in a growth pattern for uh, about 22 months in the Central Texas Conference. And it's really hard to see that growth kind of peel away because of COVID. Um, but, but we truly believe we will be stronger on the other side of this um, and, and, and this experience. And we're not in it alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're so right. We're not in it alone. One of the things that's so interesting to me, I, I know Oklahoma is kind of this is similar to uh, your conference as well, where we were seeing growth. And now that is like you were saying, sort of peeled away. When we think about the uh, the decline, though, in church membership, church attendance, really across the United States that we have been seeing even before COVID, we now kind of sense this urgency around church revitalization, and it's kind of been heightened considerably. And so yes. uh, since you chaired the WCA task force on church revitalization, how did you and your task force begin to approach that work? And then really, how do you define church revitalization? Sure. So um, the very first thing I did was I got um, with Jeff Greenway and Keith Boyette, and I explained to him that if I was going to chair this, I wanted to make sure that I had people on the task force who had experienced revitalization, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and that fresh wind and fresh fire blowing through a church. And so we used UMCARE or um, UM data. And so we looked for the people who had uh, signed up saying they wanted to do this work. And we looked to see who had growing churches uh, numerically, because that tells the narrative, mm -hmm. and who had professions of faith and adult baptisms. And so we put together this just incredible group of people. So you and I know there's all different kinds of pastors, you know? So when we sit around a cabinet table, this pastor's a great preacher, or this pastor's a great teacher, or this pastor's a great chaplain. Mm -hmm. I got a committee full of zealots, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. And we met every um, other week for about six months. Uh, developing the revitalization um, plan. And, and I have to tell you that we were into it and we're about 25 pages into to the writing of it. And I 
emailed Keith and I said, how many pages should this be? And he says, well, maybe front and back, maybe two, three pages. And I went, oh, wait, we, we are way beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we had different task force uh, or different subcommittees within the task force that looked at what it meant to grow a rural church, what it meant to draw, to grow an ethnic church, what it meant for a large church to grow, for a medium church church to grow. And we, we broke it down. Um, and so we, we um, found the metrics, which always just points the story to the narrative. And we leaned into those metrics in how many small, groups or micro communities does a congregation have? Are they active in making disciples beyond being like social organizations or social clubs? Are they, are they engaging people in mission and in ministry? Um, are they having people come to know Jesus Christ through their work? And so we defined, it, uh, defined a church as those who were that were vital as those that were active in making disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, your task force, and, and I, I read the report, I mean, as part of the WCA council, it was, it was, it was a, a really extensive report and it made me feel bad because I was the first one to put in a report for accountable discipleship and ours was only like nine pages. And I thought, what a slacker I am, you know, based no. on what, <laughs> what, what, uh, ours was pretty easy though, in terms of just, just do small groups. That's an important thing we're going to have to do. And right. we'll talk more about that down the road at some point on the podcast. But, but you guys came up with 11 foundational principles for revitalization. So can you just briefly give us a sketch of those and how churches can begin working on them even now? Because we're not talking just about waiting for something down the road to happen. We can start doing revitalization even now and even in the midst of COVID because it does give us an opportunity to kind of, in, in a sense, reboot in a lot of ways. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, a major part of um, revitalization is getting our headspace right, okay? So many times churches have grown apathetic. They think they're too small, they don't have enough money, um, they don't have the, the youthful volunteers that they need to be able to be in ministry and to be a vital congregation. And so what we have to remind them of is our God is so big. Remember the child, I was an, a children's pastor for eight years. He's so big, he's so strong, and he's so mighty, and there is nothing our God cannot do. And so mm -hmm. we first have to kind of get people in the right headspace. Um, the people on our committee, we all, we all talked about, we have seen churches on dead-end streets in uh, communities that are on the margins who have hardly anything be able to grow and have the Holy Spirit blow through there and for lives to be transformed and for Christ to become real to that community. And so um, we, we just believe the very first thing we have to do is kind of bust through those gates of apathy, uh, so to speak. Uh, the other thing is we have to keep Christ at the center of everything that we do. Uh, earlier I talked about how COVID is kind of stripping away all the things that we're doing and we're getting to just being essential. And I actually think that is a gift to church revitalization because there's so many things churches do that have very little to do with Christ and they do it because we've done it that way every year. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with the harvest festival in and of itself, 
But if the church exists to do a Lord's Acre, that's what we call them down here. I don't know what y'all call them. Or a harvest <laughs> festival, that might be an issue. Okay. So where is Christ in that? And is there a way Christ can be in that? And so Christ being in the center is the very first thing. Um, churches seek to grow uh, deeper in their discipleship and, and increase in numbers. And so we want vital congregations that uh, don't just look outside the doors. I mean, we want to look outside the doors, but we also need to look inside our hearts and I believe this COVID time might be a good time for us to do that, for us to shore up our own discipleship in preparation for the flames of tongues that might be to come at, at the other side of this. Um, we felt that churches that took the word seriously and helped tight to scriptural authority, um, those were the churches that were incredibly uh, vibrant. They offered uh, relevant Christian education for everyday life. So it's not this theoretical thing. It's not this transfer of information about, well, let me tell you about all these things about this book of the Bible, but rather they experienced teachings from scripture that was discovery-based that allowed them to, to truly be transformed themselves. Uh, these churches are active in sharing their faith. They're not... Um, they're willing to share it among themselves, but also with the world. They have a clear discipleship process. Uh, so many of our congregations over time um, have become Sunday only or maybe Sunday only with a Bible study. And there's not really an intentional discipleship process. I've always said pathway, but I actually think process is a better word because it's not always linear. Sometimes it's, mm -hmm. you know, zigzagged. Um, they have pastors, leaders, and congregations that seek to constantly be renewed. Mm -hmm. So you cannot give what you do not have. And so when pastors become discouraged or when lay leaders become discouraged, um, we need to hold one another in loving accountability to be renewed. And I believe congregations need some type of annual revival and it doesn't have to be that old-fashioned revival. Churches can do that in all different kinds of ways. But just as the, the lay leaders and the clergy need to be revived, so do the congregations. They need to have some type of spiritual renewal. And that might could be a, a retreat. That could be a prayer retreat or, or um, certain Sundays in the summer where you focus in on, on, on renewal and things like that. Uh, we also found that these churches are rooted in the historical faith and inherited faith. Uh, they cling to the doctrine in the spirit of the Wesleyan way, and um, they engage in active fellowship and care for one another. And that goes back to that Acts 2 thing where it talks about fellowship. And fellowship is not um, potlucks. Okay, so we Methodists love our potlucks, but when we go back in the Greek and we read about that fellowship in, in Acts 242, uh, we see that what they actually meant was to love with, uh, with, uh, out abandon. So if someone's horsey one Sunday because something is difficult in their life, they are still loved in that community. And if somebody's experiencing brokenness, there's somebody there to love them without abandon no matter what that brokenness is. And so um, 
really just reclaiming that um, Wesleyan way of being in community. And Bob, it's probably very similar to some of the small groups that you talked you talked about. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying, I think, essentially, is that this is kind of back to the future, right? We're not yeah. talking about super innovative um, yeah, high-tech no. stuff. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the basic stuff that is expected of a disciple. And that's, and that's one of the things we talked about in the Accountable Discipleship Task Force as well, is that you know, th- these are essential practices, uh, means of grace, uh, all those right. kinds of things that are part of that, that if you don't, if you don't do these things, no matter how great your, your facility or your marketing or all that kind of stuff is, you, you have, right. how would Wesley put it, the form of religion without the power. That's yeah. exactly mm-hmm. right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So the last one is they understand their ministry context and they seek to be relevant in that context. And they seek to make disciples, but not build their church. (laughs) Y'all hear the difference in that? They seek (laughs) to bring people to know Jesus Christ. And if that builds their church, great. If that builds their fellowship of community of believers, that's great. But the purpose is to be kingdom builders. Reminds me of something Mike Breen Breen, uh, says often, and it's a a mantra we've kind of used where he says, if you if you if you build the church, you rarely get disciples. But if you build disciples, you always you get, get the church. church. You that's get a practical. church. Yeah, that's so good. I love these foundational principles. They're they're so practical. They make so much sense. And I love how filled with the Holy Spirit each and every one of them is. I mean, it's just right. it's, it's it's brilliant. It's nothing innovative, like like Bob mm. said. Nothing. None of us don't already know. We're not right. reinventing a wheel. We're just shining light on the things that we already know as Wesleyans. Yeah, that is so true. Well, and I love it too, that you have also listed some best practices for the churches that are committed to revitalization. So what are some of the key practices you've seen that work in turning churches around? Okay. So um, the very first thing we want uh, local church congregations is to get the blue haired ladies together. (laughs) <laughs> um, we want those ladies or, and gentlemen who would be willing to come every week and pray for the life of the church. So I am not saying we're going to completely pray our way out of this. You can't, you know, it, it's a, a divine agency as well as a human agency, but we need to be having, um, I call it prayer fuel in our pews. Uh, many years ago, I had an African-American pastor explain to me, I said, I don't know what happened to my sermon this morning. It just fell flat. And he said, where there's no prayer in the pews, there's no power in the pulpit. Mm. And so I believe our congregations need to have some type of intercessory, koinia, whatever you want to call it, prayer group that gathers every week with their pastor Praise for the church, praise for the community, praise for the lost, those who do not know Jesus Christ and the power of his transforming grace. Um, And so that would be the first step that we would ask each church to consider. We also would like to ask pastors and and laity, uh, lay leaders in particular, to help get themselves healthy. You know, start doing some reflective work, like where's the brokenness? Um, Any of us who are orthodox, in the United Methodist Church, um, many of us, I don't want to say all of us, but many of us come out with wounds. And as we move into the new denomination, 
how do we move into that season um, into something new as healthy as possible? And so I think while we're kind of stuck in this meantime, this is the time for us to maybe do some journaling about those hurts and those pains and, and ask God to help us to move beyond and maybe do some forgiveness work that we need to do so that we can bless our brothers and sisters um, that may choose to not go with us. I want to go back to something you said real quick about prayer too, because okay. one of the things I've noticed in this pandemic is that that is the one thing people are gravitating toward more than anything. We started doing, for example, morning prayer on Facebook Live every weekday. Yes, with using the Book of Common Prayer, which gives you you know a lot of different prompts for for different things to pray for. So it's not just not just a list of of people's ailments, right? There's a lot more stuff to, to pray for. And so turning people's attention toward, toward thinking about the future and thinking about the present, how God is moving right now. But that also, I think, does prompt. I mean, I've gotten more calls about things going on in people's lives that they've had time to sit and think about that they normally don't think about. Right. So those two practical things you just said, I think, are absolutely vital. A focus on prayer, which you don't have to be in physical proximity to be able to do. Nope. And you don't have to be in physical proximity to do some self-reflection. Right. If there's anything we've seen through this season is that self-awareness is something that our culture lacks in spades. <laughs> so we, we really have an opportunity to do more of that. That's right. That's mm -hmm. absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is, um, we need to have churches that are willing to take a good, hard, long look at themselves, warts and all. Okay. So what are the things that people see when they come to our church? What are the things they experience? Um, what are those things are good and what are those things that are bad and, and then develop, um, a strong desire to create as welcoming of space as we possibly can with as much hospitality as we possibly can. Um, and that is based on our clear vision and mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ who are obedient to the commands of Christ. I think that, I think that is, is uh, key. Uh, another area that we spoke about was um, having passionate worship that uh, sermons are scripturally grounded. Until I became a district superintendent, I did not know you could preach a sermon without scripture. And I have sat through several sermons where I've gone, well, that was a lovely talk, but how did that tie to scripture? And, and where did you find your basis? <laughs> and so we believe that uh, these churches that will be revitalized, it's, it's gonna come from being grounded in God's work, uh, God's word, I mean. Um, and it would be contextual. You know, what does your community need to hear? I served on staff at a large church for eight years, and then I was appointed to a, a small community of 700 cotton, far, uh, cotton farmers. And I thought, what do I know about these people? I have gone from suburban mom to cotton farmers. And six years later, I could tell you what kind of offerings we were going to have based upon what the cotton looked like in the field. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to learn your context, okay? You got to know uh, your context and what the needs are of your people. And so um, 
The other thing is we've got to have active micro communities and you can call small groups Sunday school, you can call them small groups, band meetings, I don't care what you call them, you've got to have some type of micro community where people are coming together, knocking off their rough edges, sharing life, digging deep into scripture, praying together, those kinds of things. Um, and then the final thing is a simplified structure in managing our churches. Man, do we have a convoluted structure in the United Methodist Church? And it's like we have this one size fits all for all Methodist churches, and it just doesn't work. Uh, it's, it's cumbersome. It doesn't let us be nimble. And so uh, we, we highly recommended a much more simplified structure. That's really helpful because you want to be able to free people to do yes. things and free them out outside. You know, I, I think the other thing I, I thought about as you were speaking was, you know, in addition to kind of the, the grounding in scripture and grounding in, in, in solid doctrine theology, which is the basis of everything, everything we do. And the word doesn't return empty. I, I also think, and I'm going to test this with you, but I, I think there's also a return to, to real, real important sacramental practice. Like does my, does my preaching lead people somewhere? Is there an opportunity to response to, to respond to that? Um, you know, the, the idea of um, communion, for example, being our altar call, which it was for Wesley converting sacrament in many ways, right. but that's a big part of this too. I know that, that was something we experienced when we went to weekly communion of, uh, of, 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 well, almost a decade ago now. Um, just powerful, a powerful expression of communal kind of thing. And, and that's the thing people miss the most now. They're like, yeah, you preach, that's great, whatever. Um, but, but the reading of scripture and the, and the receiving of sacrament, I think, is, is also huge. Absolutely and, huge. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. For me, it's in communion that we receive our assurance and we are reminded of our assurance that we are God's beloved children. And absolutely that the call and the response, the call of the sermon and the response of our hearts sacramentally is so important. Now we know that um, there's going to be a lot of work ahead. And as people are listening to this, they're kind of I'm sure they're kind of doing what I've done, which is kind of doing a mental checklist. Like these are things that I'm thinking about in terms of my own church and, and churches around. And it's awesome stuff. It's really, again, calling us back to basics. But now we have this timeline. You know, everybody's kind of like, well, we're, we're going to wait until we launch the new denomination before we get into this. And there's no waiting, really. Um, if you wait, it's going to be too late. We don't know how long that timeline is going to extend. We hope it's not a long time. Um, but in the meantime, there are some things that people can do. You've given us some practical best practices to work on, but you've, you guys have also developed a pilot program that churches can be part of to start working on this revitalization in preparation for a new denomination. So tell us a little bit about that pilot program. Absolutely. So for congregations who are fairly certain that they're going to go uh, the traditional route and clergy that are in alignment, uh, we are offering a um, revitalization uh, and we're calling it the Nehemiah journey and a revitalization pilot that will start January 15th. 
We are taking the first 42 churches, and I think we're at like 33 right now, uh, churches that would like to participate, and then we will start a second pilot group uh, right after Easter, around April 15th. And what we'll be doing is we'll be setting up um, learning groups. We'll be setting up the blue-haired groups where we'll be having the intercessory prayers and getting our prayer fuel going uh, for, for revitalization. And we'll have some clergy groups uh, for uh, kind of helping us get our hearts healthy and, and focused toward um, making disciples and, and maybe not the pain and the stuff that I know has held me back in the past. And uh, then uh, we will have also leadership team uh, training that's sort of a self-guided um, walk through the book of Acts where uh, people learn leadership and revitalization uh, as leadership teams. So like an administrative council or just a group of leaders that the pastor pulls together, uh, they'll have a self-guided journey that they will go through um, and uh, we'll continue to offer coaching and things like that for the pastor for revitalization. Um, we're also hoping to plan some type of large event in uh, August. We don't know what that looks like, uh, but some type of an event that would be um, virtual where people could come from around uh, the, the denomination who uh, have participated in this pilot program, may, maybe hear some great preaching, absolutely hear some great preaching, some good music, uh, some good reflection, and, and have some uh, just dedicated prayer time leading up to general conference. And so um, I think this will be a powerful way for our churches to really start getting the main thing to be the main thing um, as we look at starting the new denomination. So there's no sitting on your hands at this point. There is no sitting on our hands. Jesus didn't call <laughs> us to sit on our hands. Ever. We are not called to be pew potatoes. <laughs> waiting, to that. waiting upon the Lord is not like waiting in line at the DMV. Right? That's right. That's right. And I know you get impatient about how long is this going to take? I want you all to keep in mind that um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when Christ is born, it's about 400 years of meantime, right? <laughs> We're asked to wait a year. We can manage this. And they, didn't we can use our time wisely. they didn't even have Netflix. You know? That's right. They didn't even have Netflix. We can manage a year. We, we can do this. That's a brilliant perspective. I love that. So, so Leah, before we tell you goodbye, first, I want to ask you two things. So I'd love for you to tell people where they can find uh, the task force report, but then also if churches want to be a part of the pilot group, how can they be a part of that? So the task force, task force report is actually being edited as we speak. And I am not sure how you get your hands on that yet because I'm not sure that it's ready. But if they would like to participate in the pilot, um, I think Bob's going to put uh, some information from WCA in the show notes. Um, or you can uh, email me directly at Leah, L-E-A-H, Hitty, H-I-D-D-E, Gregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y, at gmail.com. And I'll make sure you get added to our list uh, of potential uh, pilot congregations. Wonderful. That is just great. Yeah, we'll make sure we get that in the show notes and 
And so everybody has a chance to get those links. And, and you know, the there was an article that was published by WCA uh, about the task force work. So I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well. So make sure you check that out and uh, click on those links. It's a tremendous, it's exciting to see what what the task force did and and calling us back to a revitalization, not by super innovative kind of stuff. I, I was thinking about Tom Oden, uh, the great Methodist theologian who said, somewhere along the line, he said something like, I want to put on my tombstone. He contributed nothing new to the study of theology. You know, right. there's, there's nothing <laughs> yes. new under the sun. Right. And it's basic Christian Wesleyan practice. Mm-hmm that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's right. Just have to do it. And I can tell you that our churches that are growing, these are the very things they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time it's not fog machines and strobe lights. It's people praying and coming Mm -hmm. together and loving Mm -hmm. and being grounded and Christ centered. Yes, that is so true. And it's something that we all can do, which is yeah. why it's so exciting. That's exactly right. Well, Leah, we cannot thank you enough for taking time to be with us today. Thank you for all of your work on this task force and for all the things that you do in Texas and for our entire denomination. We are so grateful for you. Thanks for being with us today. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And we want to thank you all for joining us on the podcast. We want to remind you, you can email us at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. We are also on all of the different podcast platforms. We have reached more than 14,000 downloads. I don't think you knew that, Stephanie. We're over I did not know that. That's amazing. Downloads. So people are diving in and it's exciting to see that. If you are listening to us on one of those podcast platforms, make sure you leave us a review. It does help to drive more traffic to our site. We're getting ready to wrap season one here at the end of 2020 and come back with season two. In season two, we're going to do more of what we just did today and get into some of those task force reports and some of the nuts and bolts of the book of doctrine and discipline as we get ready moving toward general conference. We're going to have some of the folks who help to form those things on board so that people can submit questions and and we'll have a great opportunity to hear more about the nuts and bolts of the new denomination that we're putting together and praying for launch for. Uh, Also, if you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at WCA pod. That's a great place to see what's coming up on, on future episodes. We also have a mailbag episode in the works. Uh, We're getting more and more questions. So Keith and I and Stephanie are talking about another mailbag episode. That was a very popular episode because people have lots of different questions. But again, we want to thank Leah for joining us. We want to thank you for joining us. And we hope that you join us back here again on the next episode of Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast. We will see you.